Hi there, I'm James Herman and you're listening to The Most Effective Advertising Campaign in the World which is the Campaign for the Master of Advertising Effectiveness online program which I teach in partnership with Walk. On the program, you'll gain a next-level understanding of the evidence-based principles of how to make advertising that creates consistently better commercial results. Just like the extraordinary results we're seeing from this campaign you're listening to now, which will become even more extraordinary as it gradually makes the Master of Advertising Effectiveness brand more mentally available to you, and the familiarity you feel with our brand compounds with each execution you're exposed to over the long term until eventually you make a subconscious emotional decision with your system one thinking to sign up for the master of advertising effectiveness at mae.academy that's mae.academy hello and welcome to the walk podcast my name's Catherine driscoll i'm commissioning editor emea for walk strategy And in this episode, we're going to be talking about pricing and specifically the role of advertising in creating or maintaining pricing power. Joining me today to discuss their research on the relationship between advertising and pricing, I have two very special guests. Professor Kuhn Pauls, Distinguished Professor of Marketing at Northeastern University and Principal Research Scientist at Amazon, and also Billy Ryan, who's Head of Analytics and Effectiveness at The Seven Stars. We'll be discussing their research into pricing power and highlighting the practical insights for advertisers and agencies from understanding the role of pricing in advertising effectiveness. So, Kuhn, thank you so much for joining us on the Walk podcast. Before we dive into the research, can you give us a quick overview of your background and the work that you do? Yeah, of course. And, and thanks so much, uh, Catherine and, and Walk, for, uh, for having me on this, uh, on this show. So uh, I'm basically originally from Belgium, as you can tell from my name, and, and I came to uh, UCLA 1997 for a PhD in marketing. Uh, so right at the height of the first uh, internet boom, as they say, and uh, was just very excited with, with all the potential for brands uh, and for all of the marketing mix instruments. Uh, my dissertation was on long-term marketing effectiveness. Uh, so I basically uh, wanted to advise, and I have advised senior managers on the whole marketing mix. And I talk about product, uh, pricing, uh, with distribution channels that you go in, and then of, of course also promotion. Um, and a key specialization there of me has been the metrics in between. Uh, so I'm an engineer by training. I look at everything as input, throughput, output. Uh, so you do stuff and then stuff happens. Uh, and then ultimately you get, for instance, sales or profits or, or donations or social welfare, whatever your performance variable is. And I'm just really specialized and fascinated by what you do to measure yourself in between, uh, whether, you know, things that you can measure online or offline are really telling you whether you're going in the right direction and, and give you some some time to uh, to adjust your campaigns or your marketing mix uh, before it really hits, uh, hits the market. Oh, thank you. Your listeners are going to be so um, appreciative of your expertise on measurement and sort of the whole process. And so, Billy, welcome to you to the podcast. Um, Could you explain a little about your role and experience? Absolutely. Um, Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much for having me, first of all. It's a a real pleasure. Um, I've been in the effectiveness space for about 10 years in, in various guises. So I started out as a econometrician in one of the big uh, market mix modeling consultancies. I then had a stint um, client side with Direct Line Group, where I had a much broader remit to work with marketing and and agency teams alike to drive effectiveness. And 
now that I'm with the seven stars, my role is broader again, right? Measuring incrementality for brands, but also supporting them by building out measurement and optimization roadmaps, and then working across their businesses to close the gap between the commercial objectives of the business and their overall advertising investment strategy. Oh, thank you so much. I think we're going to have lots of uh, great answers for brands today with you both here. I'm really delighted to have you join us. Um, so at Walk, you know, in the last few months, we've had many questions about pricing strategy and effects, you know, in the UK and across the world. You know, the inflation and economic upheaval have had a huge effect on brands and consumers. You know, many brands have had to raise prices because of inflation and issues in the supply chain due to the war in Ukraine and hangover from COVID. And at the same time, you know, consumers are also struggling, so it's a difficult decision. Um, so to dive into the research, um, Kuhn, your study quantified the power of brand advertising to reduce price sensitivity. Could you explain your framework and how brand advertising has an impact on price? Very happy to. Uh, yes. So, so as I said, within the marketing mix, um, I'm fascinating about advertising as many of us are. And I always say to companies and brands, look, advertising is a weak force, uh, but so is gravity, right? So yes, you need to have the great product in the right uh, distribution channels, uh, but advertising obviously really helps uh, to bring your product uh, in the minds of consumers, uh, to persuade them to try your product out and then hopefully be satisfied with it, but then also to remind them that it's out there and it's a great fit for their needs. Now, I always found that it's challenging to, uh, to demonstrate the impact of mass media advertising uh, on your brand. Um, and so one of the reasons is that so much other things are going on in the market besides your advertising. So in this research, we really said, well, besides just directly increasing your sales, how can advertising help your pricing power? And the way we do this is by estimating econometric models that uh, basically relate sales to all of its drivers and then have the, the price coefficient, the elasticity as we quantify it, uh, be dependent on your advertising, your competitive advertising, and a whole bunch of other factors. So we really model how the price sensitivity of a brand uh, evolves over time. Uh, and we did that for 350 brands uh, in 39 product categories. Uh, so everything basically what we had for breakfast in the morning, right? Ready to eat cereal. Uh, we had beer there. Some of you may have that for breakfast. We had shampoo. So a, a whole bunch of very different fast-moving goods categories. Um, and we modeled the effect of, of your advertising on price uh, sensitivity. And we do that both directly as also through these consumer mindset metrics. Uh, so as part of the data set, we also have... Uh, regular measurements of uh, the number of consumers that consider your brand, and also separately on the number of consumers that think you're their favorite brand, uh, which we call brand preference. Uh, and so we say, well, maybe advertising works directly on reducing your price sensitivity, right? It, it reminds people that already consider or favor you that your brand is fantastic. And so when they come into the supermarket and you have a higher price than they are used to, they don't mind that much. Uh, it could also work indirectly to increasing the number of people who consider you and, uh, and prefer you as a brand. So we model all these different effects. Uh, and so what we find uh, across all of these categories and across about seven years of data is that uh, advertising has a pretty big impact on price sensitivity. Uh, so we calculate that uh, for the average brand in our data set, and we have a lot of also smaller brands in our data set, uh, that it gives you about seven and a half million euros more in revenues uh, for the average brand in a year in this market. 
Uh, and so that it's a, it's a great benefit of advertising uh, to grow to the pricing power. The other thing we find is, of course, we have all of our different conditions by brand size category is that it specifically works well in complex categories. Uh, so when there's a gazillion of stock keeping units, right, think about your shampoo or ready to eat cereal aisle, you have so many choices. In those more complex categories, uh, advertising seems to really break through the clutter and just help consumers make a choice, um, even if your brand is more expensive. Um, talking about that one in terms of brand expensiveness, we actually find that it works better for more expensive brands. So if you're having a brand that is more on the higher end, uh, having and continuing advertising to really increase uh, our, you know, your pricing power is, is even more beneficial than if you are a lower than average price brand. And then as we say, finally, in our data set, we find that uh, most of the effect is direct. So you advertise and you get a lower price sensitivity. You don't gain that many more new souls in our data. So, uh, I mean, you do get more consideration and, and preference, uh, but you don't get a lot of new consumers that themselves are less price sensitive, in our data at least. So we find that the effect of advertising on price sensitivity is, is direct and very substantial. And so we basically recommend uh, to, uh, to really uh, credit advertising for this increased pricing power. Oh, thank you. It's really helpful to be able to separate out those pricing effects. You know, when we obviously get a lot of questions about digital commerce, you know, what should brands considering their pricing for digital commerce, um, you know, take from this? <laughs> exactly. A, a key point, and I'm working on this with several companies right now, um, you know, going back to my background, coming to UCLA in the middle of the internet boom, right? This was the age on what we call frictionless commerce. This, this strange idea that brands wouldn't matter anymore because the competition was just a click away. And if anything, what we have seen in the last 20, 25 years is that brands become even more important online because uh, there's so much more choices that you're exposed to. Um, and so I would uh, say I haven't done research about it. So we didn't specifically separate out like, uh, you know, digital native brands mm -hmm. versus not. Uh, but I would speculate that it uh, it works uh, as well online as, as an offline. There's some ongoing research that I'm doing now that actually shows that people on average are more brand loyal online than offline in fast moving consumer goods. And so, you know, the fact that, hey, online you want short lists and you quickly and efficiently go for the brands that you that that you know. Uh, I would appear to me, I would speculate that it would uh, also hold for brands online. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, I wonder with all that choice, it's a certain safety and, you know, seeing a brand that you know and you can trust a little bit more. You know, you did it. You did touch on this, but, you know, thinking specifically about, you know, brands having to raise prices at the moment, you know, what role does, you know, advertising play, you know, when it comes to price increases? Uh, so, so this is absolutely key. And, and so I got my first paper out on price promotions. Um, a lot of, of previous kind of research that you have seen kind of assume a symmetry, right? They give you a certain kind of uh, a price elasticity is typically minus two. What does that mean? If you decrease your price by 10%, you get 20% more increase in sales. And the typical assumption is that it's the same for price increases. So if you increase your price with 20%, <laughs> I mean, that's an assumption that's built into lots of models, unless you specifically separate the two. 
I have previous papers that separate them out. And so we do find that in price increases, there is this latitude of acceptance that, uh, you know, if you increase it by just 3% or 4%, maybe up to 10, 12% for some people, they barely even notice, right? <laughs> Depending on yeah. how much the bread is in your budget. Uh, but we do find that with advertising uh, for today's brands, you can increase that latitude of acceptance. Uh, and I think that's absolutely key. I mean, the results are in, I think, this week of companies like Unilever, Coca-Cola, and they have all been able to substantially increase prices uh, in, in, this, in this environment without really seeing a big dip in sales. Uh, so I think it's highly relevant and that uh, we should continue to, to model and to monitor that going forward. Yeah, absolutely. Are there any benchmarks for when a price increase becomes a sort of driving away point? <laughs> well, well, there's, there's a hill rich literature about also how you should explain that to your customers. And, and so that literature shows that if you can explain it, it's because of your rising costs or some rationale that people feel for, right? Uh, I would also do a lot of, of research on purpose marketing. And so if you can truly show that, that your brand is doing better for the environment of paying its employees more, right, and your company are kind of, you know, having the brand produced in settings that are good for the workers and the environment there, I think you can justify price increases way better than if you say, hey, we just want more money. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and, and so I think a lot of times, kind of specifically if you major increase, having some rationale, right, instead of being completely mum about it, uh, really helps uh, to uh, to be, because with the consumers, it's always, well, you know, how do you justify for yourself or maybe yeah. for your family or for your boss, if you're in B2B marketing, that you're still buying the brand and, you know, you give peace of mind, uh, but you're also kind of fitting into their overall values and, and what they want out of life. That makes a lot of sense that you've got the explanation to sort of pass on if needed. Um, and so, Billy, thank you for waiting patiently for us. Um, you know, could you explain a little bit why it's important brands link pricing power to advertising, you know, when they're trying to navigate high inflation and the cost of living crisis? Absolutely. Um, put simply, I think brands should care because pricing power is a very powerful economic motivator for advertising. So direct sales or penetration outcomes, they're, they're very, very important, but we tend to focus disproportionately on those, right? You know, we need to, we need to warm up future buyers too, um, and that does get some focus, but we also need to make sure we're achieving our sales and achieving our penetration growth at good margin. And time after time, that tends to, to get ignored, particularly when we have conversations about um, measurement and about effectiveness. So making an explicit link between pricing power and successful advertising, I think that's very important for brands. And, and of course, it's never been more relevant than now. Marketers have had to deal with countless economic shocks over the last few years, but inflation has been chief amongst them. And, and you know, we're getting... Over the last few years, we've gotten what economists call, you know, cost push and demand push inflation at the same time with independent drivers. Um, so there's pressure from all sides to, to raise prices. And as Kun's research points out, only the strongest brands can do this without hemorrhaging volume. And, you know, when we start to stack things like um, private label growth in physical retail and, and the increased competition of the digital shelf space and retail media trends, you know, it's never been more important for brands to think about those indirect effectiveness outcomes like pricing power, but, you know, like distribution power um, as well when they're pitching for budget and briefing in campaigns to their agencies. Oh, thank you. It really does point to the kind of critical role of advertising, you know, during this really uncertain economic time. 
And it does point to the study that you recently published on Walk, you know, looking at pricing power in a bit more detail. You know, could you share some more details of that research, you know, into the role of indirect advertising effects, you know, and why it's so important to bring pricing power into the effectiveness sort of measurement? Um, of course, yeah. That that piece of research is actually the 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 culmination of a of a quite a long um quite a long period of of thinking on pricing power. Um, you know, I first started to become interested in it as a topic back when I was working for Data to Decisions and I was churning out market mix models for big CPG holding companies like Recbankeyser and um, and Mondelez. And, you know, when I was in that role, we would, you know, we'd build out these great econometric models for the great brands that were within those portfolios. Um, and, you know, every time, you know, we, we would come to calculate the ROI on, on the media campaigns and they would be uniformly rubbish, you know, regularly um, below one pound in, in profit terms. And, <laughs> you know, initially I couldn't really figure out what was what was happening. And, you know, I was only... Um, you know, it was only a couple of years into my career and I didn't want to sound silly by asking either. <laughs> so, um, you know, so I kept I kept thinking about it and, you know, eventually I was exposed to a few more brands, a few more projects, um, thought about it a bit more and the penny started to drop, right? The, the market mix modeling projects that we were doing, you know, they didn't quite see the wood for the trees, right? The economic value of the advertising campaigns. It wasn't in the extra couple of basis points of, of distribution that might be achieved while the campaign was live. Um, it was tied up in the price premiums that these brands achieved relative to private label and relative mm. to competitive brands in, in their category. And, you know, depending what aisle of the supermarket you're in, those premiums can be huge, right? Anything from from 50% right up to five, 600% in um in some um, in some categories, so you know that was that was obviously an interesting realizing realization to make, but you know it proved very difficult to actually tease out how much of that pricing power was attributable to advertising, right? It can't be the case that you know the extra one pound fifty that Neurofen might make on a pack of ibuprofen relative to the private label equivalent you know it can't be the case that all of that value is attributable to the ad campaign that ran that month um but you know the challenge becomes trying to understand the relationship between advertising and that price premium right the only real way to understand it is to take that advertising support um support away um, which obviously isn't uh, isn't a test that most um, most brand managers would um, would sign off on. A difficult um, real world experiment. Absolutely, absolutely. So, um, so I guess you know it was a case of of kind of parking that thinking for for a little bit, but keeping a, a watchful eye for any natural experiments that might help me quantify that relationship down the line. And, um, you know, of course, my patience was eventually rewarded. (laughs) Otherwise, I wouldn't be talking to you guys on the on the podcast. And, you know, I came across two really insightful cases that I wrote about for work a couple of months ago. So the first one of those was um, um, actually I actually came across it about a year later when I was working at Direct Line Group. Um, so when I joined there, they were about five years into removing advertising support for privilege insurance and turning it into a price comparison website only brand. So very interesting natural experiment when you remember that Direct Line Group also market very similar products um, under 
very well supported um, brands like Direct Line itself um, and of course um, Churchill. So in this case, we were able to use that privileged brand um, whose brand equity had decayed as a bit of a natural baseline to understand A, the size of the premium um, that Churchill would receive due to its brand and B, observe how quickly that brand equity decayed without advertising support and how pricing power softened um, as a as a consequence, um, and then so secondly, um, and while I was at the at the seven stars, I I stumbled upon um, a really fantastic long term data set. So twenty years of data for a single CPG category, which was very stable. And at different points, advertisers had simultaneously um, increased their brand advertising investment. um, And then in the more recent years, simultaneously pulled back from above the line advertising. um, And that caused a a gradual kind of flight to private label amongst, um, amongst consumers as the salience of the brands decayed away and the category started to become more and more um, commoditized. So in this case, we were able to use the different um, profitability profile of the private label sales versus the brand sales to understand the economic value that was being destroyed when the brands pulled back from, um, from advertising. So both of those cases um, gave great insight into the economics of advertising and, and the role that pricing power um, has in, um, in returns. So for all of the brands, advertising was, you know, it was economically unviable on a one-year basis. So those kind of short-term direct effects weren't enough for the campaigns to wash their face. Um, but once we extended the return horizon to more than one year, um, the advertising became phenomenally value generative. So the returns doubled in the insurance example, and the returns actually increased 20x in the consumer packaged goods example. So as these brands lost their salience through underinvestment in advertising, um, they could no longer command that price premium of old and their relevance to the market um, ceased. So the kind of key conclusion of the piece is that explicitly making the case for a kind of maintenance level advertising investment, what we call the, the cost of standing still, is really important and it's an important concept because it helps businesses protect the brand equity that that ended at the end of the day um is a a really big part of their overall enterprise value as brands that's so interesting i mean it's a real double loss with the kind of losses to private label and then also unable to kind of keep up that pricing power that the brand might have had in the past you know, I think that cost of standing still is something that's a bit of a cautionary tale for brands at the moment, you know, who are looking to reduce some of their outgoings. And of course, we have got the um, uh, direct line and case, uh, a case study on walk from the um, IPA Effectiveness Awards. If anybody wants to look at the full details, it's such a fascinating piece of work and really unusually, <laughs> you know, way to have an experiment like that, where a major brand that was actually very popular, completely dropped, you know, all of its advertising and then, you know, the effects that that had, which were pretty consequential, shall we say? <laughs> um, if I may add to that, uh, so, so, so we just came back from a wonderful study about brands going dark in Japan, actually, at, uh, at, at Amazon Ads. And so that is basically cutting uh, Amazon Ads advertising. And what we were able to research there, it's it's not just kind of, you know, when they went dark, but also if they came back, 
whether they would you know ever get back to the metrics they had before which i thought was fascinating mm. so so at, at some point of course you know some brands came back after maybe 6 months and they had to spend up to uh, i think 12 times more to get wow. back to where they were before if they went dark for 9 to 12 months you know in our data they never went back to the kind of uh, of market share and so forth that they had so th- so there's a real cost yes you know and a lot of times people said it in a recession right oh you know we can just you know put advertising off and then put it on again but mm. you may have to spend an x amount more to get back to uh, to where your goals are and and that's very important to make that case yeah that's so important i mean when you know, we're thinking about sort of the holistic view of advertising effects, Coon. You know, what would you say, is, you know, are some of the other areas that advertising impacts when we're, you know, looking beyond sales? Yeah. So, so, so the first thing I want to mention is is retailers and partners, right? So distribution is absolutely key. And, and this is why it's important to look at the whole marketing mix. Uh, distribution is, is absolutely key, specifically for fast-moving consumer goods. And um, we have lots of research that shows that advertising really helps to convince retailers and partners to favor and to push your products, uh, specifically mm-hmm. for new products, right? So very often you can only really get shelf space by promising the retailer to advertise <laughs> and to do that in a very good way. Uh, so that's number one, kind of the middle person is very important. I would say number two is is employees. Uh, so think about the brands that you're excited to work for, mm-hmm. right? You know, whether you're, you know, you want to be a full-time employee or you want to consult, you're just much more excited to work for brands that stay top of mind and, ha- and have something that they stand for. Uh, and then I would say number three is the investors. Um, my my advisor, Mike Hansens and his uh, then PhD student, Amit Yoshi, have a wonderful paper about how advertising also works on small investors. I mean, you think about investing in the stock of companies that you know, and how do you know them? <laughs> Mostly because of consumer-based advertising. Um, and we have now a final paper on, on ESG, environmental, social and governance, that actually shows that if you look at mindset metrics, consumers really care about environmental and social things. Uh, investors seem to really care about your governance. And again, you typically bring that out to investors based on, on mass media and good communication. So so think about you know everybody in the ecosystem, the employees who want to work for you, the partners and the retailers that want to work for you, and the investors that want to invest in your stock or in the future of your company. Oh, thank you. Well, it's a, a convincing case for, you know, the holistic power of advertising. But, you know, turning back to you, Billy, you know, given that many brands are having difficult financial conversations, you know, how can marketers use this knowledge about, you know, the effects of advertising and pricing power to be heard in the boardroom you know, while these things are going on? You know, is it an opportunity now for marketers to build on their relationship with finance, you know, and really show that advertising is a source of business growth rather than a cost? Definitely, yeah. I mean, I, I I think the I think both pieces of research really really underline the the jeopardy involved in in those marketing investment decisions. You know, I think it, it demonstrates brand equity is a really important component of enterprise value. It it's just slightly slightly stickier, slightly slower moving compared to some of its other components. Um, and non-marketers need need reminding of its importance, and and obviously the 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 two pieces of research can can help them help them do that. So you know the the current pricing pressures, you know, I think that's a big opportunity 
for marketers to remind their colleagues of of the breadth of effects, direct and direct and indirect that their campaigns drive. Um, it's an opportunity to work with finance to broaden out that business case for advertising, shift the focus of our efforts from a business case that is based purely on those direct sales and, and penetration effects to something that encapsulates those slower moving um, indirect effects too. Because at the moment we're under attributing to our um, to to our campaigns. Yeah, absolutely. It's sometimes those sort of longer term and indirect effects that, you know, perhaps get overlooked in these conversations. Kuhn, within your experience, you know, where do the CEO and CFO sometimes, you know, misunderstand the role of effectiveness of advertising and marketing? You know, how do you think this relationship could be improved? <laughs> well, I, I think the relationship always improved by speaking each other's love language, right? So mm-hmm. for, for all of CFOs, that's math. And so um, my, my typical classes are about half people from finance, half from marketing. And, and I, I typically start with a, a case study where kind of, according to all the metrics agreed, kind of a specific, very creative ad campaign is three times more effective than usual. And my question is, what should we do now? Should we increase or reduce ad spending? And all the finance folks say reduce because you can hit the same sales quota with less money. All the marketing people say increase. And then I actually mathematically derive the profit function of the firm and show that the marketing people are right. And so so, so this realization that marketing folks, you know, typically are in a growth mindset or what Mm -hmm. psychologists call kind of... um, uh, promotion focused, right? We think about opportunities and we know that if we found something really cool, we have to kind of pounce on it, uh, you know, because our competitors will catch up, the consumers may get tired of it. Whereas financial folks and also CEOs are more conservative sometimes in terms with their money. And so I think kind of, you know, speaking each other's languages is very important. Uh, the second thing I always say uh, to CEOs and CFOs is that marketing science is just really, really hard. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so, and I'm quoting here. So, so yesterday at Amazon, we had the Marketing Science Day, and this is Phil Leslie, uh, a chief economist, saying that. And he said, look, I do lots of different kinds of science every day, but marketing science is the hardest. I mean, just measuring ad uh, investment uh, payoffs in the long term, that is way harder than almost anything else. And so there's so much noise uh, and we, we have to get incrementally better. And so I think this kind of thing, that kind of measuring marketing well and then improving based on it, taking action, is just something that's really, really tough, is something that, that I really think CEOs and CFOs should understand. Um, I think my third and final point is that um, there's a lot of distinctions in marketing that are way too, um, you know, seemingly separate. Uh, but just like, you know, Mark Ritson talks about boatism, you know, you have short term and long term together. I don't like this whole distinction between brand building and performance marketing. Uh, you know, so so a lot of very great uh, brand building um, pieces also get you direct sales. And in the last years, in all of my research, I've seen and published that uh, so-called performance marketing things that you do, maybe online, also build your brand. So brand building is not only offline, brand building is also something you can do online. And so online, you now have a lot of of wonderful upper funnel and mid funnel kind of ad products that help you to to keep your brand top of mind, to have that maintenance advertising, uh, to get people that are just browsing online and want to be entertained or want to explore new products, to discover your new products. So you now have all of these tools that are both online and offline that can work both short term and long term. So, uh, so, so, so let's kind of uh, stop making these kind of arbitrary distinctions 
Um, and, and yes, it's good to specialize in one of these, uh, but you should also be able to see the broader picture and have kind of this, this T-shaped uh, uh, experience in marketing that you, that you can at least talk to other marketers, <laughs> let alone <laughs> to the CEO and CFO in their language. Now, well, thank you so much, Karen. That's a really useful explanation and very important to look at um, all aspects of marketing in the short and long term and how they work together. But, um, you know, it's definitely a big area for communication in the boardroom and, you know, thinking of ways to bridge this gap between finance and marketing. I think you explained it very well in uh, how the two sides have such different mindsets. Um, So I've got a final question for both of you this time. And, you know, and that was just really to take it back to pricing. Um, You know, what do you each see as the most important takeaways for brands when it comes to pricing as your sort of top advice? I would say the attribution challenge is is a really big one. So usually in in forums like this one, we're talking about the problem of of over attribution, right? We're looking at specific channels, um, you know, maybe bottom of the funnel, digital marketing channels being over attributed. But here, the problem is under attribution when we're looking at how advertising contributes in in the aggregate. And you know, market mix models they are brilliant utilities for businesses and in many cases they're very 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 well applied by marketing departments but they're blind spots you know they can lead to underinvestment in categories like consumer packaged goods where pricing and distribution effects represent much of the economic value that's that's being generated by advertising so recognizing this um kind of limitation of market mix is a really important takeaway for me um Another thing that that I found quite pertinent in my research, and and Kun touched on it, um, touched on it earlier, is that um, in my CPG example, there was a very strong devil takes the hindmost dynamic. So as the the three brands in the category pulled back from advertising, the weakest brand disproportionately suffered. So a kind of double jeopardy dynamic, but in reverse, you know. And I think. As commerce environments are, are disrupted, as brands to continue to face those inflation pressures and, and private label becomes more of a, a threat, those um, those challenges heighten and investment decisions become even more important. So I think using the two pieces of research together to help boards understand the importance, not just of growing brand equity, but of, of defending it and improving the brand's relative position on pricing, relative position on distribution, relative position on key brand image statements. I think that's a big takeaway and a big opportunity for um, for marketers. Oh, thank you so much. That's really interesting. And so, Kuhn, over to you. Um, what would your takeaways be? Yeah, so, so, so my argument has always been, uh, you know, marketers, you know, do make the case for marketing spending in the boardroom. And, and so how do you do that? You talk about stuff that, that the people who give you the money care about, right? So financial folks care about cash flows. They care about bigger cash flows, faster cash flows and more secure cash flows. And advertising has been demonstrated to help all three. And so you make that argument first qualitatively if you don't have the measurement yet. But if you can, please also aim to measure it, right? Aim to, for your brand, say, hey, you know, this is what we see. If there's a natural experiment that Billy talked about, that's fantastic. Very often you can learn from from research that is academic and very thorough, but that's also popularized in maybe easier blogs or in in spreadsheets. So so you can find benchmark in maybe your own industry or related uh, industries. 
Uh, what I always love to do is to convince marketers to do a field experiment to actually show that it works. But just as Billy, <laughs> it's often hard to do that. So, so if you can't learn from your own mistakes to like, shut down advertising, learn from other people's mistakes. Uh, aim to measure it. Measurement doesn't have to be perfect. Uh, in my experience, kind of even very precise financial types are just so happy with the marketing department, you know, doing just an attempt uh, at, at measuring something quantitatively and just really having that in mind. Uh, and it's not just kind of to show that your current campaign should be funded. It's also after the fact to say, well, look, you know, we had these results. But we have the metrics in place to do it more efficient next time. And so to demonstrate that you're a continual learner and that you're just a good steward of the company's resources uh, throughout this process. That makes a lot of sense. It's not just sort of showing what you've done, but that continual improvement um, as you're going along. So some really valuable advice. And thank you both so much for sharing your expertise with us. Um, we'll draw this podcast to a close here. But um, for Walk subscribers, do look out for Kuhn and Billy's research into pricing effects on the site. And as always, if you don't already, please don't forget to follow us on your favourite podcast platform. Thank you, everyone, for listening. <laughs>